this. We have, if you're watching online still, because we still are streaming, um, we are glad that you're watching. We're glad that you're joining us. We wish you were here with us, but we understand if you gotta stay home. You can join an open share group via Zoom. And hopefully Matt right now, because I can't see him, I can't see any screens, is putting up your links to the groups that you guys can go to and click on and uh, go to your Zoom meetings. And we have uh, a men's group and we have, I think, uh, two to three women's groups that are available for you online um, during that second hour. And so that's kind of our announcements. I will make this reminder that since we are outside and uh, we're heading off to group, um, there will be uh, some cleanup stuff that happens in here. And so we just ask that, um, if you're going to stay and socialize, do so out there or grab a um, music stand or something and help carry it inside. So, But we're grateful that you're here. One of the cool things um, that we get around here is not only do we hear testimonies like we did last week, but we also get to hear teaching that's going to help us and encourage us in our recovery process. And uh, it's been a while, but uh, we get an opportunity to hear Pastor Scott as he comes up to share a message with us. So you guys welcome Scott as he shares. Hello, everybody. Wow, that's the best mic I've ever had on the way up. Good job. Um, hi, my name is Scott. I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ in recovery from drugs and alcohol addiction. Join me in prayer, please. Hi, everybody. Lord, um, our world is going crazy around us. Um, it's a never a time experienced in my lifetime like it. And that means we need you, because we either draw nearer to you or fall away from you in these difficult times. So, Lord, this message is one for the day, one for the ages, just as it was a month ago when I taught. And so I just pray that you'd empower this message to uh, allow people to, to leave and, and draw near to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, Tonight, we uh, address the second lesson in our three-part series on the serenity prayer. At this point in my walk and life, uh, I know nothing is coincidence. I don't know if you ever think that, but never in my lifetime, uh, uh, and a case could be made, never in human experience in history has this prayer uh, and applying it to our lives become more dramatically important for our nation, its people, and each of us in our lives. I say this because peace and serenity are not words that would apply to the times we're living in or to the lives of many people I see around us. Our nation is literally burning and dying as the foundations are being rocked amidst the world of a political opinions, its factions, its rage. And add to this mess the fear fomented and intertwined with the insanity created by a worldwide COVID crisis. We ought not be surprised given the absence of God and elimination of God from our culture and the resulting spiritual immaturity that suicide, alcoholism, uh, drug addiction, food addiction, anger, abuse, anxiety, depression, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, are all on a meteoric rise. And most importantly to God and our nation's health, all this is causing marriages and families to turn on each other as they are imploding and falling apart. None of this I'm speaking about includes God and his peace and the sound judgment that will flow out of those things in any individual's life. Friends, our world will never return to the stability we were experiencing just six months ago. So 
How do we as God's children and people in recovery not give in and get sucked into the mess ourselves? Uh, great question. Tonight, I provide an answer as we cover the second stanza of this famous prayer. It applies perfectly to these challenges I speak about, and it's got to begin with us. We have to take it seriously. It reads, and I only am going to quote 19 short words, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. 19 words full of God, wisdom, and recovery principles for such a time as this. So, because we're studying the serenity prayer, and peace is the closest biblical synonym in Scripture, I have chosen for this three-part series this verse that Jesus himself said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. John 14, 27. I ask you, how needed is this truth in our world today? I encourage you to memorize the verse. If you aren't memorizing it, start with that verse. Why is this piece so important? It's funny, it's kind of the word, the music today. Tim started his prayer about freedom. Because if, if you have God's gift of peace, you will experience his gift of freedom. Freedom from guilt, fear, and the hurts, habits, and hang-ups that result from those forces in our lives. So what's the promise of this entire series and this particular prayer activated in our lives? It is that God's wisdom and his freedom from all the, all the besets our nation and lives is available to every person in any given moment through Christ and his answer to this simple prayer. With this promise goes a warning. If we get used to seeking, finding our peace from places other than Jesus, we run the risk of just becoming another statistic and part of the problem as we multiply our hurts, habits, and hang-ups time and time again. So let's look at these first two stanzas, which are fittingly about time, which if you know me is one of my fascinations because I've experienced both the peace and terrors of that reality in my life. My friends, living it one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time is possible, but I've found it takes honesty, self-awareness, and God. As I almost always teach, Jesus in recovery is about changing the way we think. Science has now shown how intricately our bodies are intertwined with that reality of how our brain, and God put it simply years ago when he says, as a man or woman thinks, so is he or she. Our nervous system, I teach this a lot, is miraculous, and it's a miraculous series of chemical reactions flowing through our body that have the power to make us very, very sick or keep us healthy. And these chemical processes are being produced by our thinking patterns, and the health and sickness is an automatic result. And I hope you know that every thought you think produces a chemical reaction throughout your body, and it will either make you healthier or sicker in any given moment. Medical science now has proclaimed adamantly that it isn't physical illness like COVID virus that bring most people to the hospital. They adamantly admit that over 50%, many say as many as 85% of all hospital visits are because of thoughts and the stress and fear and anxiety that we think as human beings. So this part of the serenity prayer becomes essential to our well-being 
as we do nothing more than change the way we think and act by living one day at a time and learning to enjoy one moment at a time. Let me offer you two quotes and a story that make this principle not my words, but other great thinkers of time. This first quote, sadly the author is unknown, yet the wisdom is clearly of the Lord and about this particular point. When the author writes, having spent the better part of my life trying either to relive the past or control the future, I've come to know that between these two extremes lies peace. The second quote says the same thing, same thing in an even more concise manner, and this is by a man named Fulton Ursler, who wrote the book, uh, The Greatest Story Ever Told. The movie was made of it. And I love the biblical metaphor. He says, we crucify ourselves between two thieves, regret for yesterday and fear of tomorrow. Friends, we are in a spiritual war, and this principle is essential to our recovery in lives. Let me now share the story because you won't remember those quotes, but you might remember stories. That's why Jesus used them so uh, often. Sorry. Brendan Manning, one of my favorite authors, I encourage you. Uh, he's a man of grace, he's, if that's a need in your life. Uh, he tells the story that I call the monk and the strawberry. If you don't remember the story, remember that. It's a story about the monk and the strawberry, and you'll probably remember the point of the story. He tells the story of a monk who found himself being chased by a tiger. He goes on to write this. The monk raced to an edge of a cliff, glanced back, and saw the growling tiger behind him about to spring. The monk spotted a rope dangling over the edge of the cliff. He grabbed it and began shimmying down the side of the cliff out of the clutches of the tiger. Whew. He made a narrow escape. The monk then looked down and saw a quarry of jagged rocks below him, 500 feet. He looked up and saw the tiger poised atop the cliff with its claws bared. What was he to do? The monk then saw a strawberry within his arm reach growing out of the face of the cliff. He plucked it, ate it, and exclaimed in that moment, Yum! Thank you, God. That's the best strawberry I've ever tasted in my entire life. Manning then writes the obvious moral of the story when he says life is best lived when we don't focus on the tigers of our past or the jagged rocks of the future, but on the strawberries that come from God in the here and now. So my friends, this is recovery at its core. The source of wisdom in life change for any who embrace it and pursue it. So let me offer hope by addressing how do we do it? It's obvious, yet first, we pray. This is a prayer. And uh, we pray this prayer with faith in a new way after tonight, not just with an incantation that we close our services with. Remember, this prayer is about wisdom. Do you know that God promises, promises, and he's faithful, to give us that gift if we're not double-minded in receiving it? Beyond this prayer, you can surely move forward more quickly, the next step beyond prayer, by simply working your program. What am I talking about? Well, it means developing a daily rhythm of slowing down your life, turning to the eternal God and his word, and learning to live in that moment with him. In recovery, that simply means working your 10th and 11th step where you personally reflect and journal on the way you've thought over any particular time that you're reflecting on. Knowing that God's peace is available and finding it 
to us through knowing the eternal God. I think it makes sense. Yet we're in a spiritual battle, aren't we? I would hope you would leave here tonight committed to working these essential 10th and 11th steps in your life. No matter where you are in the process, you can start with these. Here's what you tack about the way you're thinking. How did you feel throughout the day? If you struggle to know, as I once did, you can still get one of those feeling sheets that are probably up here, they're around, you can find them on the line, uh, and uh, begin being emotionally aware and alive. It's a true adventure for most of Americans who are shut down emotionally, and people worldwide, honestly. Then notice daily your patterns of either crucifying yourself on the past and its attached guilt and failures, or on the future with all its fears and resulting control issues that will pop out of your neck. Make a note and then turn rewardingly to Jesus and his eternal perspectives of love, joy, peace, and patience, and you'll find them because he promises them. And then you can take them from that moment out into your world to whatever's awaiting for you that day. It's foundational in recovery. It's why one day at a time is the single most famous saying in the recovery world, bar none. And this will lead us to the second stanza, which I think is way more difficult and more important to focus on even. Accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. I can only say for me, this line of prayer is not attractive. Friends, do you realize that this has not always been nearly as big a reach for people? And in parts of the world today, it's radically accepted, even today. Hard to imagine how we live in the Western world compared to most of the world. This truth is a huge part of what our maturity in Christ is all about. A very important recovery question that you should work on your sponsor with is how do you handle hardships? Jesus said this as a foundation, I've told you these things so that you may have peace because in this world you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So we have to remember that pain is a fact of life and it does actually have a purpose for us. So that's an important thing we gotta cover tonight. Let me answer, what is God's purpose for all this pain? Such a common question. I'm blessed to know a lot of people who are pursuing the Lord and they come to talk to me and this is one of the big questions that keeps them from even believing there is a God. Why is there so much pain if he can prevent it? Well, I think C.S. Lewis offers the answer one of the best ways when he says this. Here's why we have pain. Pain is God's megaphone. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone. Why? To rouse a deaf world. The problem in the U.S. is that we believe the lie that pain is optional and even wrong. Beyond this, our challenge is multiplied because we actually experience so little of it by historical standards. This allows us to believe the lies and thus leave God and his serenity pursuit out of the picture. And we never even seek to find what he's saying to us when we suffer. Let me simplify this down to the truth that there are only two ways to handle suffering. The first are everywhere, as I look at the world and how it's operating, and these are non-redemptive, negative ways of handling suffering. The other side are seemingly much less visible, at least to me, and these are the redemptive or positive ways that the Bible tells us where to handle pain. Let's look at both. 
Non-redemptive looks something like this. When hardship hits, this is the way non-redemptive patterns work. We don't seek or listen to what God is saying. Instead, we get angry. The most natural response for a human to pain. Then we run to the world, whatever that may be for us, and it's fixes almost always by blaming whatever created the pain and then turning to something we can control that gives us false temporary sense of control and relief from the pain. Sadly, this can be recognized because it only multiplies our suffering by creating more stress, more anger, more bitterness, more depression, and yes, more addictions to the point they can actually become our character. And then we're in big trouble when we practice too, too long of actions of non-redemptive handling of pain. The result of this non-redemptive process in the medical field is what science would call neurosis. The definition of neurosis is a mild mental illness involving symptoms of stress. How neurotic are you? I fall victim. I'm not above it. I can tell you I'm healing and it's through the redemptive positive process I'm about to reach and preach tonight. And I encourage you to take it seriously and apply it to your life. So let's look at the rarer, redemptive, or positive process of handling pain. These will only be found long-term through our spiritual nature and all that God teaches us. Remember, the 12 steps are a spiritual program of action as CR is a part in the 12-step world because we stand upon Jesus and his word as truth, as our higher power. So we live in a culture that clearly teaches us that pain is somehow optional, unfair, and even wrong. Get back, sue, whatever. What's wrong, I got hurt. These are all lies we all believe and are sold all the time. I hope you might entertain this as true and recognize how it impacts you. I highly recommend the book, The Gift of Pain by Dr. Paul Brand. I've told this story before, but it's another story that when I first heard it, I'll never forget it. It spoke to the truth of my heart, and our country. He tells life, it's an autobiography, he tells the story of his life growing up in India as a child, the son of a missionary in the mountains of southern India, where pain was everywhere, just his life, because it, there was no protection from it in India. He then went to, to Britain, where he was educated as a young adult during the blitzkrieg of the horrors of the Nazi bombing and, and destruction of London. He then moved to the United States and became a world-famous doctor because he cured leprosy. And he writes the differences of these three cultures. He said in India, pain is a fact, and people handle it because there's nothing they can do about it. And they just live as steady as you can say, no matter what the pain is on that particular day. He said, then I moved to Britain, and I watched these people with their houses being bombed and their, their family dying, and they handled that pain with joy and, and fervor because they had a cause they believed in and a common enemy they stood against. And then I moved to the United States of America where, by all standards, there really is very little pain, and I watched the people who had no ability to handle it. Now, that'll preach to each of us tonight. Friends, God is speaking. Let's learn from God in history that like the Indians, the Bible teaches us pain is a fact. It's not a value statement. 
And like the British, we have a cause, the greatest cause on planet Earth, the cause of Christ. And it tells us throughout the scripture that we had a, a, a savior who came and suffered above anything else so that we too would understand how to handle suffering because it's a fact of life. He told us in Hebrews that pain is a discipline that will reap a harvest of righteousness and peace if we allow it to. We're told in Romans 8 that we're all God's children, and if we're children, then we're heirs. And, and if we're heirs, then we're co-heirs with Christ, if indeed, if indeed we share in his sufferings. And then Paul says, don't be discouraged, because I consider our present sufferings worth nothing when compared to the glory that will one day be revealed in us. So as believers, we, like no others on planet Earth, need to understand and even expect suffering. It goes on, Romans 8, to explain that to us, Unlike anything the world knows that has no spiritual understanding of why we suffer, that we all know the creation is groaning as in the pain of childbirth right up to the present time. And that means suffering. Not only so, but we ourselves, every one of us who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoptions of sons and daughters, the redemptions of our body when there will be no more suffering and pain. So in our culture, we so don't seem to know this because I think we have so little suffering to learn from by historical standards. And what we do have, we fight rather than accept because our culture says it's wrong. We shouldn't ever hurt. And if people hurt us and circumstance hurt us, something must be wrong in my life. No, it's just life, Jesus said. Friends, while we're never gonna look forward to suffering, we can now understand it like the world never can. This understanding will cause us to suffer with joy because God tells us in Romans 5 that our suffering produces perseverance, our perseverance develops our character, and our character will give us hope, and that hope will never disappoint. But we gotta let suffering do its work. And instead we run and we suffer more than we ever would if we just persevered and let God teach us what he wants to teach us. So, let me shift offering you five quick practical ways you can experience hardship in a positive, redemptive way in your life. I've already touched on this, but the first is accept pain without passing judgment. Let me repeat, accept pain without passing judgment on the cause or yourself, knowing that all pain is temporary. It says that throughout scripture. Psalm 26 is one of my favorite. It's right at the end of the psalm. It says, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. We say that in recovery. What do we say? This too shall pass. All suffering is temporary. This paints us, points us to another one of the great reminders to ourselves. And so first accept suffering without passing judgment. Second, avoid making others suffer from your suffering. God's clear on this. Don't live out the truth that hurt people hurt people. There's only more stress ahead in the misery loves company approach. Let me be clear, it's important. It's one thing to need mercy from friends in a time of need. Make no mistake, the Bible says it. But ask yourself, is your situation worthy of that? A need or a want? That's what I ask myself. In biblical terms, is it a burden or a load? as is explained in Galatians 6, 3 through 5. It clearly states here that we are to bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. So we're clear that we're supposed to do that. 
But it goes on to say that each one of us must carry our own load, two different weights, and we don't ignore it because today we let people carry our loads every day, and many of us live by allowing people to carry our loads for us. And we're all called to help others with real burdens, but they're not that commonplace by historical and biblical standards if you read the scriptures. Our loads are the sufferings of life that God intends for us to speak to us, to carry ourselves so that we find the true wars of perseverance, character, and hope, and all the things God says pain and suffering will bring to us. Friends, especially codependents, please listen. We're never called to carry the load for another adult that they are called to carry themselves. In the recovery world, we put it this way. Never do for another adult what they ought to do for themselves. Why? It steals their self-respect. It's right there in Galatians 5. It steals their very dignity and their self-worth. And it steals the opportunity they have to grow through pain that God intended. It actually harms us, any codependents living that out, and it harms those we want to love and save. And they remain immature babes in Christ if they know him and stagnant in their growth as we reap the pain of their immaturity. Third, forgive those who've contributed to your suffering. In today's vernacular, quit blaming people for your pain. There's no, will, there's no win found in that mindset, and it's everywhere, and it's biblical to not do it. I tell you that you will watch yourself quickly become a winner as you do this, because obviously God says to do it, and we're only logically say there's no peace or joy or wisdom to be found in resentment, bitterness, and vengeance that is the outflowing fruit of ongoing bitterness and lack of forgiveness. Fourth, avoid people who enable you and feed yourself pity and resulting neurosis. And on the other side, codependents, don't become these people. Oh, that I could help the many people that call me in the midst of that misery. Make no mistake, recovery and wisdom say that enablers are not your friends. And enablers, you're not helping those you love. You're hurting them. Finally, spend time speaking and seeking God. If you take anything from this message, spend time. Work your 11th step every day as faithfully as you can in this crazy world. Journaling. You're missing Nine-tenths of God if you aren't journaling. Realizing that God is speaking in his loudest voice through our pain that we all are experiencing in this world right now. Make sure you ask him what he's saying and write it down. So in closing, why is this prayer profoundly powerful and said as a part of every person's recovery in every meeting all over the world? Why is it so needed in these crazy, insane times we're living in? First and foremost, it teaches us to pray. How's your prayer life? Well, here you go. You got one. Pray it with sincerity, not with rote. Now understanding what it says to you in a better way. Beyond that, tonight we've all gained a new perspective on how important this particular prayer can be. As we've all gained a new understanding that God answers his answers to these prayers have the power to change a fool into a wise man or woman. 
Because of our newfound knowledge, wisdom is available, just as I promised and began, the promise of this prayer. Wisdom is available every moment through Christ and his simple answers to this prayer for every one of us, if we take it seriously. I assure you, he's turning this afraid, anxious, one time depressed, addicted man into a man of peace, slowly, one day at a time. So it can be for you. Tonight, come on the journey with me. You will never regret it. Let's pray. Lord, you offer peace, but you don't offer it as the world offers. We have to know that delineation, and we have to know you to know the delineation. If there's anybody here tonight who's walking in the world with no, no Jesus in them, but they know there's no loss, they just ask you into their heart, and they will be saved. They believe in their heart, confess with their mouth that you, are, you were raised from the dead. They're saved, and you come and live in them, and all of this begins to make sense. <laughs> I once didn't have any of it. But, uh, Lord, beyond that, um, even with your spirit, we walk in a world that's selling us a lie, that pain is wrong and bad, and I need revenge, and I need to sue, and I need to uh, uh, blame and seek vengeance on the sources of those of pain and it's just not what your word teaches us. You suffered like nobody else in history, Jesus. So would we take it to heart? Would we, as followers of Jesus and people in recovery, apply this prayer that we pray? Would you answer it in our lives? We've got to surrender. Didn't teach on that tonight, but that's a fact. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's, thank you, stand, and we'll say the serenity prayer. Imagine, we're saying the serenity prayer. Maybe we've got a new fervency. <laughs> so, all right. God, grant me the serenity to accept things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, Taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. First time guests, we'll meet you right on the hillside there. We'll see you all back in an hour. Go to group.